0: Welcome to Consumed, the podcast that features casual conversations with the people behind what we eat and drink. I'm Jamie Lewis, and I just discovered that Consumed hit the top 40 of food and wine podcasts in the US this past year. Top 40? Mind blown. I think you're going to like this ninth season of the Consumed podcast. I interviewed a couple chefs, a brewer, knife designers, a cheese purveyor, produce manager, fitness instructor, farmer advocate, religion professor, singer-songwriter, wine historian, and a pizza don. From Paso Robles to Ventura, they told me the story behind the story of what they do and why. Before we get into it, let me give a quick shout out to a couple of key sponsors who make this podcast tick. One is Santa Maria wine grower James Onaveros with Ranchos de Onaveros Wines. In April, James's label Native 9 was named among Wine and Spirits magazine's best Pinot Noir of the year in the country. I mean, I'm not surprised, but still, that's a really big deal. To taste those pinos, head to the station in Los Alamos, where you'll find the most recent wines from Rancho de as well as tasty grub from Cisco Kid Catering, like classic Santa Maria style tri-tip, barbecue plates, burgers, pork belly tacos, plus beer, kombucha, even avocado toast. Hang out in Los Alamos, enjoy James's wines, and soak up the best of a Central Coast summer. Many thanks to Ranchos de Onaveros and James for his support of this podcast and his commitment to the growth of the local wine industry. For more information about Ranchos de Onavero's wines, visit ranchosdeoniveros.com. I'm also grateful for support from Slow Life magazine, which focuses exclusively on the perks of living in San Luis Obispo, California. Keep an eye out for my next food column in the magazine. I did something a little different this time, and I asked a few kids about their favorite dishes and restaurants in town. I was rather shocked by their answers, and I can't wait for you to read all about it. Look for the June issue on newsstands at Boo Boo Records and Barnes & Noble or subscribe at slowlifemagazine.com. This episode of Consumed is a twofer. When I sat down with Brent Burchett, Executive Director of the San Luis Obispo County Farm Bureau, I didn't realize he'd bring his wife, Kaya Twisselman Burchett, a sixth generation California cattle rancher. You'll hear Brent's Kentucky roots right away in his accent. He moved to California to advocate for local farmers protecting and promoting agricultural interests in San Luis Obispo County with the Farm Bureau. Back home in Kentucky, he met Kaya a Central Coast native and part of the Twistleman family that ranches in the easternmost part of San Luis Obispo County. But Kaya is probably best known for her media appearances in People Magazine, Access Hollywood, The Kelly Clarkson Show, and others, having lost 125 pounds and becoming a life coach for folks who want to take charge of their mental, emotional, and physical health. To see just how much people resonate with her, check out her Instagram account at CoachKaya. Here, Brent and Kaya connect on their love for agriculture, their shared ability to hear where people are coming from, and their desire to affect change at a high level. Have a look at the show notes at letsgetconsumed.com for a recipe for honey horns from Kaya's dad, Joel. Okay, here are Brent Burchett and Kaya Twistleman Burchett. Tell me your names. Kaya Twistleman Burchett.
1: That's a fresh last name for her. We just got married May the 8th. My name is Brent Burchett.
2: Oh my gosh, May the 8th, though. We were very fresh. We just got back from our honeymoon on Sunday. Where did
0: you go? We went to Catalina Island. Oh my gosh. You know, I know because of COVID, a lot of people are going to Catalina because it's, you know. Not too far. It's within the state. Yeah, yeah. And it's been fun to see on social media people- getting to know that part of our state. Yeah.
2: But you guys, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. What was the wedding like? It was awesome. We got married at my family's cattle ranch in Carissa Plains. Are you familiar with Carissa
0: Plains at all? Uh, you know, I, if I said I was, I, <laughs> I think you'd test me on it. And find <laughs> where out the
1: the wildflowers are. So yes, that's their, yeah, the North
0: 58. 58 yes. 58,
1: out highway
2: 58. It. So that's where my family has been for now seven generations. And so we got married outside at my family's ranch, which was nice. Mm. Um, not the most convenient location because the closest hotel is an hour away. Sure, Um, sure. But all of our friends and family from Kentucky, we had rented a bunch of um, campers and it felt more like an Indian wedding, like a multi-day celebration because we had people there on Thursday through Monday. Um, It was so much fun though. It was beautiful. Oh,
0: that is so awesome. And now, so... Before um, we started recording, Brent, you handed me a bottle of Kentucky Straight Bourbon mm, Whiskey, and I about lost my mind. That's good
1: stuff too, Jamie. I didn't bring you that riffraff, that low stuff. This is <laughs> top. It's not not top shelf. It's a medium high shelf. So this is Eagle Rare, and this comes from Buffalo Trace Distillery, which is. The only continuously operating distillery in the United States. So they made wow. bourbon during Prohibition because they had a medicinal license, so they mm-hmm. could continue making medicinal bourbon. I'm air quoting here. Yeah, uh, but it's a good ten <laughs> year age statement. So you look on the back side here, age ten years. Yeah, and in general, that bourbon, you know, ten years is a good mid shelf stuff. Something that's two years old—that's the lowest bourbon can be. Right. Bourbon can will basically max out at like twenty five, twenty seven years old. So that's the peak of the bourbon aging. You won't yeah. get any elder in the bottle. That all happens in the barrel. So it's um, good stuff.
0: I just read recently that you don't want to drink. I I like bourbon or and even just whiskey. I like it neat. Yep. Um so if I'm going to do that, I read recently that it it should be 10 years or more.
1: Yes. And if you're doing something, you know, 4 or 5 years, that's okay to mix with, but don't mix this stuff with anything. Nope. This is the good stuff to
0: That's how I like it.
1: I like it a little bit on the rocks. I get the, the big fancy ice. We've got those at home and yeah. feel a little bougie <laughs> at home drinking that. <laughs>
0: then you need a good glass. And that's what I'm sorely missing because I put it in a wine glass. That's nope, no, you
1: need a tumbler. You yeah, need a tumbler. In Some of those. We'll, we'll come back again, I'll bring you a tumbler. Well, no, now this there. is a
0: great excuse to do that. Okay, so I had not expected to have Kaya here and I'm so glad you came. Um, you're... You sound like maybe like Slow County Royalty a little bit (laughs) in terms of how long your family has been Mm -hmm. here.
1: I nearly changed my name to Twistleman just so I could have
0: her. It's a great name. It is.
2: It is. That's why I I didn't want to um, get rid of it. So I kept it as my
0: middle name because I'm very attached. Absolutely. You should be. That's an important name. How did you two fall in love? Mm. Do
1: you want to tell the story? If you're looking for a good partner, just go to the county fair. So at the Kentucky State Fair, I had a... Uh, booth set up with the Kentucky soybean association, which was my former two, two employers ago. And just serendipitously next door was the Kentucky beef council. Mm. And uh, strange enough, it was Kaya's first day on the job. She had just oh, moved wow. from Europe to Kentucky, randomly found this job on LinkedIn. She had a nose ring. She was from California, lived <laughs> in Europe. This is pretty out there for Kentucky agriculture. Yeah, I was a
2: wild card for sure. And,
1: uh, <laughs> She comes in. She's looking like all dolled up. Like rest of us are kind of like you know working, moving animals, and doing stuff at the fair. And this girl's all got her makeup on. She's looking good. And how did that happen? Kyle?
2: What What he didn't know beforehand was that morning as we were setting up the booth for the beef council, I had just started the job, as Brent said. And there was two ladies and a cameraman that came up to our booth and said, "Hey, would you be open to us stealing you away for an ambush makeover?" <laughs>
0: no yeah and,
2: and I just so I had just got back from Europe I lived there for a year in Germany and I didn't spend money on my hair when I was in Europe like you could either spend it on your hair or like a weekend trip to Barcelona right. I chose Barcelona so my hair was long and I would get compliments on my ombre and it wasn't ombre it was just really grown out <laughs> so it was like it was really long and I said you know what sure let's do it and so they had a little pop-up salon there at the fair they chopped off probably 12 <gasps> inches of my hair and gave me like an oh, a-line barb and dolled me up with makeup they they had me do a live reveal on the morning television station in louisville and i was just like is this how everyone gets welcomed to kentucky and then (laughs) later that afternoon i met my now husband so it all works out to look like crap at 9 a.m because you might get made over to meet your husband i guess (laughs) that's a momentous day for you it really was but the other thing though i have to say about the fair is that my parents met on junior fair board at the California Mid-State Fair. Aww. And both of my brothers met their wives at the California Mid-State Fair. So there is love to be made yeah. Go to the fair, at y'all. the fair. That's
0: where love grows. Well, and people spend a ton of time together. I mean, it's this big, everybody you know, has anticipation for it, really concentrated time. And mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, so great. So that was
1: the story. And then I worked for the Kentucky Department of Agriculture. And uh, Kyle, I moved to Lexington to work in Frankfort, our state capital. And so we started dating there, and Kai was kind of homesick. She's got, Mm. at the time, she had two cute little nieces that were that, you know, three- to four-year-old age, and she was homesick, and it was an election year in Kentucky, so if you're a political appointee, you're expected to, like, do all the speaking and go lobby and campaign for your guy, and I was like, I wouldn't mind skipping that, so we'll Mm. just try California, and the Farm Bureau job came open, and... I guess they were hard up, and I, they really wanted Kaya, and so I just kind of slid in there. <laughs> she said, "I don't really like the lobby and stuff, so why don't you do that, Brent?" And I thought well, they're not going to hire me, and and here we are in California, and
0: here you are, and so you've been here how long? Just Brent?
1: two years and a couple months. Okay. Two years, uh, February of 2019. Is we moved. So
0: here. talk about fresh. I mean, you're still oh yeah, fresh Californian. Still
1: don't know anything. Our crops are so different. You know, we're corn, soybean. Tobacco, cattle, Midwest, typical agriculture as my family still farms. Mm. Uh, so one of my favorite parts of the job at the Farm Bureau is just seeing the diversity of, you know, people and agriculture commodities yeah. and the climate is so different. And the, you know, in Kentucky, it rains every two days. And here, you know, mm-hmm. rains a bigger deal. And I remember reading some farm magazine and they were talking about, well, we got four one hundredths of an inch. And I said, what do you mean a one hundredths? <laughs> you know, we say half inch or two inches, three inches when you get a rain and Mm -hmm. measuring the evapotranspiration rate and it's just a totally different uh production system yet california is the big
0: dog in the whole country in the world really now let's just jump into some hard topics i'm not hardballing at all but i just (laughs) i I did want to ask you in terms of water um which is not a loaded subject at all no 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 controversy about water none um but you know i've watched some of these documentaries and i've learned because i'm a native californian that water just it's not it wasn't ever here before we it's all been redirected from northern california and elsewhere that has got to be so hard to navigate especially for some i mean obviously it's really tough to navigate if you're growing something but especially for you as the person who is i'm in charge of making
1: sure farmers are represented that we have water supply and we balance you know the needs of municipal uses and for people and animals and Mm -hmm. crops and so i
0: messaging get, to the yeah, community, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: let yeah. alone understand and just explain it. Cause you have to right. really understand something explain it. Well, and I, I still struggle with it today. Slow County, the cliff notes version is we're very unique in that we are groundwater dependent, not surface water dependent. Mm-hmm. So I think you had an earlier podcast with a lady. I can't forget. Remember her name? Yes. Brittany. She do- Brittany. She's super she's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Cool documentary. Y'all check that out. Yep. What is that? Where water grows? Where, <laughs>
0: where there once was water. Where there once was water. Yeah. So,
1: Slow County is a little bit unique in that we are not as dependent, we virtually get no state water for agriculture here. So mm. we are all wells pumping that for
0: agriculture. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that because yeah. I actually did not know. Well, that.
1: I, I didn't either too. I moved here yeah. and I heard all the, uh, anyway, which has its own challenges. Groundwater is not a, a, a limitless supply. I think the Paso Robles groundwater basin is one of the largest underground aquifers, uh, in the Western United States. It's mm-hmm. a pretty big deal. So I think that was a big draw for investment, knowing that, you know, if I can, I know the cost to drill a well, I can drill that well, and I have that water source. But, you know, there's always pressure from added population for increased agriculture use that it's not a limitless supply. And so we have a Sustainable Groundwater Management Act that Brittany may have talked about, and that is the regulatory vehicle for local decision makers, whether it's farmers, uh, cities, uh, county leaders, et cetera, to come together and try to craft a plan that, you know decides what cutbacks may need to be made, what sort of new infrastructure may need to be brought in. And in California y'all love fighting over your water. I mean, it is Do just we crazy. Ever. <laughs> so. Well,
0: God, you see how precious it is. Yes. And yet there's this huge disconnect between the the home, you know, if you think of it as like the consumer. The patient, the client, whoever, the person, the home, who's washing dishes, who's taking showers. I, when Brittany was on, I was so admonished and convicted by talking to her about, she said on the podcast at one point that her turning point uh, in thinking about waters when she pictured the young women carrying water I in, um, I think it was in uh, South America, and then seeing her neighbor power washing his boat. I have power washed this house multiple times. Oh, yeah. And I I just I have a very tough time connecting the preciousness of that resource with my day-to-day life. And we
1: always will until it's until that tap comes out dry. Until yeah. we have that moment where we don't have water to take a bath and, and feed our kids with and it's it's scary and to think that we are so dependent on that. And the magic of California is the sunshine. So the sunshine's not going away. The other piece of agriculture is labor. We'll talk about that later, lots of challenges there. Yeah. But without water, there's no agriculture here. Right. And so there's parts of California that have more water than others, but Southern California has the best growing climate. So that's why we have this statewide aqueduct system to bring water to this productive area. But there's people all across the world that are betting against the sustainability of California agriculture long-term. I don't mean environmental sustainability, but I mean like the ability to keep going because it's yeah. – uh, increasingly you know climate change is affecting our supply we've got competing interests where we have you know fresh water that for for good purposes is going out into the ocean to protect habitat but mm-hmm. farmers look at their field that they're fouling and say we're not you know making skateboards here we're growing food <laughs> not right. nothing wrong with skateboards but it's an essential you thing can't eat them. <laughs> you can't eat them that i know of <laughs> uh-huh. so it's a challenge for us at farm bureau to make sure that we're being realistic about you know, what our current level of production is, what will our kids be able to do? What will our mm-hmm. grandkids be able to do? And it's totally different from the coast. So here in San Luis Obispo and uh, Royal Grande and Santa Maria, um, the coastal area has a lot more rain for those that don't know San Luis Obispo County. As you get further inland, that becomes an increasingly scarce resource. Yes. So Paso Robles is a, a world leader in wine grapes. Mm-hmm. And that's an awesome thing for our economy and people. And it's a cool What's, what, what's part of what makes SLO County cool yeah, to visit. Sure. We have people come in from Kentucky for our wedding, and we took them on a wine tasting tour. And Mm -hmm. so it's not as simple as saying, well, this just affects, you know, the the vineyards or the wineries. This is part of our economists, our tourism piece. Yes. You know, we've got the ocean, but uh, wine tourism has become a fundamental part of our county. Mm -hmm. Um, COVID reminded us that we need locally produced food. And when we had grocery stores that went kind of barren for a couple weeks, when the price of eggs and milk and all that stuff jumped up, we said, you know what? These farmers are pretty important. <laughs> we need yeah. to take care of them. This is a, it's a special industry.
0: Yeah. And I, of
1: course, I would say that because I'm advocating for them. But, you know, if you if you ate today, thank a farmer.
0: Yeah, my uh, friend Zach Andrade at Spinaca Farms up. Uh, they have some property in Morro Bay, but they're mostly Salinas and Gilroy. Um, when we're going through the pandemic and then wildfires Mm. and the skies are bright orange and these people are in masks out in the field. And it just was like, I, it looked, there's a, a very, um, widely spread meme of, you know, thank a farmer, thank the people in the field right now, because they're making sure that you're getting fed. Yep. When We're all holed up, closed windows, trying to breathe.
1: We had to keep working. And yeah. it was scary. And the wildfires came at the worst possible time. There was a, there's a rule about using N95 masks when air quality drops. So farmers that employ farm workers, they have to look at this map and say, okay, what's the conditions at my field that day? And if conditions are you know, bad air quality, they have to use N95 masks. Well, mm-hmm. those were a hot commodity during right, COVID. Couldn't right. get them yet we still couldn't we couldn't stop harvesting crops we mm-hmm. still couldn't you know take the day off we still had to be out there in the field so i think that really reminded our community that uh when we make policy decisions we've got to be mindful that we we don't want to be reliant on other countries for our food we want to be reliant on our local community it, it's great that we can export food it's great that we have people that can you know bring food to this country we like that diversity of food uh, here but you guys have everything it's so incredible that you've got this year round nearly year round nearly 11 12 months a year you can mm-hmm. have Fresh strawberries and avocados and lettuce and things. In Kentucky, we're maybe a four-month growing window, very limited. So we do have fresh local produce. But uh, most of the year, we're buying California and Mexican imported food. And uh, so it's important for this community to appreciate what we've got here, an awesome asset.
0: Well, and ranching seems to be a way of life that's been struggling for a long time to remain viable here. What's your family had to give up to be able to stick with that?
2: That is a a great question and it's really interesting. So I'm sixth generation, my nieces are now the seventh on the ranch and I'm so grateful that we are in a position currently where we can continue that legacy. But to be honest, it's kind of something we worry about every year just Mm -hmm. to make ends meet, just to be able to pay property taxes in California in our county. Um, But one of the things that's been really interesting to watch is the way that our ranch has really had to evolve throughout the years. Um, You know, my grandpa always says, you know, we're in the ranching business, but more than anything, he's like, we're in the land business. And how can we use this land um, to produce something to, to sustain our family. And so one way, one way that we do that is by grazing cattle because most of the land in the plains on the very outskirts of our County is not productive land. It's the driest part of our County. So we get hardly any rain during the year. Uh, we like do six inches. Yeah, six maybe six grazing. inches wow, total. Wow. Um, but our family has, has really been open to pivoting, especially recently in the past few years. One of the ways we've done that is, um, through agritourism. So yeah. my brother and sister-in-law recently. I think they started it in 2017. They started working through hip camp to offer glamping at our family's ranch. I, you know,
0: now that I think about it, I've seen that on there. Yeah. Yes. And you can go out on trail rides and that kind of thing, yep. right? So we've
2: done trail rides we've hosted out there. Um, my mom also teaches archery. Um, it's at our family's pond, which is where I had, you know, all my fondest childhood memories. That's where Brent and I got married. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really a cool opportunity for us too, to be able to share that ranching lifestyle with people some local people but also people from other communities predominantly Los Angeles and San Francisco sure. um to give this them this rural wild west escape kind of share that culture and heritage with them we also started doing we started at the beginning of the pandemic to um Process have our own cattle processed here locally, oh, yeah. so we also started offering um, local grass finished beef um, within our community as well. We have it available for pickup through Twistman Ranch, um, and we also offer it to glampers if they want to buy some beef to enjoy cool while they're out there. So they had never y'all never done that. We had never COVID. done. So you that. have your own
0: processing center. You are one of the processors. No, no, no sorry. No, no. We use a local processor, J and R Meats. Oh, of course. And we've okay. also
2: worked with Cal Poly Meats as well. We do not have a processing facility, but um, and that was a challenge of its own. You know, we saw this demand when the pandemic started, people wanted to have local food, especially when you saw the meat shortages in the grocery stores. But at the same time, our processors were inundated. And just to be able to get a slot in in one of the processing facilities, they were backed up for months and months and months. And there was a huge bottleneck, not just at the local level, but um, at the larger scale too, at the larger processors, there was a huge bottleneck because of COVID, because they had, you know, there were workers that were getting sick or they had to reduce the, the number of employees that were available. And so it wasn't that we in the US or even here locally in our community didn't have enough beef. For it was our, there. It was there. Yeah. It just we weren't able to get it processed, packaged, and shipped out in the same way when the pandemic hit. Right. So um it's been a really interesting learning opportunity in agriculture. I mean, across the board. Um, and here locally for us and seeing the way that our family has kind of had to adapt a little bit to that. And um, but I don't know, agriculture also is a very resilient industry. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's hard it's always been hard. And so I feel like this is just a, a season of a different kind of hard that we haven't ever had to deal with before. It's
1: mm. so different, Jamie. In Kentucky, when I met Kaya, she said, well, my family has a ranch. So oh, how big's the ranch? She said, oh, it's about 60,000 acres. I thought, "Woo, hot damn, we're in the money. That's a big, <laughs> big farm in Kentucky. You know, my family's like 1,500 acres. That's mostly yeah. rented ground, but it's a lot different. So they have it's so neat, like they're looking at rainfall to determine the grass, to determine how many cattle they should bring in to feed out for the year. Isn't that nuts? So, so during the wedding everyone's like, Well, how many cattle do y'all run? It's like, Well, could be five hundred, could be five thousand, depends on wow. the rain. So there's a huge mm-hmm. Kind of family tied to the land and having that ranching cowboy stuff. I'm not a cowboy. I don't have a cowboy hat. I'm not, Kai has <laughs> now, cattle, hold on. You but,
0: don't have a cowboy hat?
1: Well, I just, I'm all hat, no cattle. You know that expression. I love I, that expression. I feel, I feel like I wouldn't be honest. Now, I can I can talk uh, <laughs> other commodities, but cattle is sure. still, uh, we went to a cattleman's meeting last night, and they are talking mm-hmm. about the price discovery, and, you know, there's so few buyers in the cattle industry. And mm-hmm. the price that you see at the grocery store you already know this. It's not reflective of what the rancher receives, right. and the more we can have local markets, the more we can have that competitive nature that helps our local farmers. On the flip side, that volume purchase is is a very big deal to their family too. So you need both. That's what I yeah. tell people at Farm Bureau. They ask about you know local farmers versus farmers that ship all across the country. It's like, well, we need both. We need that diversity yeah. in our food system. And
2: I think something to note too about that because I get. I'm a really big beef advocate and it's beef month. Happy beef month. But I feel good about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also important to remember, you know, people ask all the time, like, how can I best support Family ranchers like you. Um, And I think that there's this idea that, like, I only eat local food. That's how I support farmers and ranchers. But if you buy beef from a grocery store, you might be eating beef that my family raised because my family raises cattle that might, you know, go to a feedlot that will end up more in the, you know, like just the general grocery store supply chain. But we also sell locally raised grass finished beef. And so I think it's important for consumers out there. I'm a big advocate of of just trusting our food system. And and I, I buy beef locally from my family's ranch, but I also buy to the grocery store and I also eat it in restaurants. And I know that uh, within our supply chain, no matter where you purchase beef, it is supporting a farm family somewhere.
1: But that is mm-hmm. controversial in a sense, because people, they kind of have this idea and they, they want to get it from a certain market or a certain farmer, but it, it never fails that when I take people on a tour and they meet a farmer that's a big farmer. They're, mm-hmm. they're selling to the mass markets. They have a connection with them, and all of a sudden, they're like, "I just want your food. I just want yours." Like, well, yeah. go to the grocery store. Go yeah. get my food. Yeah, they don't make it in the back of the you know restaurant or the that's grown on a farm, no and matter I, where it is.
2: And I think what's just so beautiful is to remember that um, we are all just we're so lucky to live in a place where we have plentiful options. And so, if you yeah. want to purchase beef from a family ranch who, you know, personally, and can go and visit their operation. That is wonderful and great. And that's awesome. And if you are someone that can't afford to pay those prices and you want to buy food from a, from, from Walmart, your beef from Walmart, that's great too. And I, I, I think that we need to, you know, whatever makes sense for, for your own personal preferences, whatever makes sense for your budget. I just want people to feel good about the food choices they're making without like the personal shame or guilt about where they bought it from, you know, I
0: really agree. I mean, I, I bought a ribeye from food for less today because my husband, my kids are vegetarian Mm -hmm. um, because of climate change. And so that's something that's important to them. Uh, My husband has celiac disease, so he can't eat gluten. I'm the only normal one, (laughs) Um, but just to keep him happy, I'm buying him beef. And then the kids, I mean, it's, I couldn't possibly get everything I need in the way I need it if I were dependent upon farmer's markets. Mm-hmm. I live a big life like we all do. And part of the reason I'm able to have a podcast is that I go to the grocery store. I do go to the market. I actually bought bread from baking bre- Breaking Bread Bakery today. Um, and I went to Cal Fresh for a couple of special things, and like Trader Joe's and food. I mean, I went to four different places in the name of convenience, which sounds sure. pretty, um, pretty um, convoluted, well. but that was the way I did it. Something you said, though, Kaya, it like it made me not because it, it was personal at all, but you said something that made me like tighten up. What was it? I I trust. I want people to trust the food system, and when I hear that, I get really like anxious because I I didn't grow up farming. Um, and I love documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of them out there, and there's a lot. And I just there are so many competing stories mm-hmm. about well, God about water, about um, food safety, about you know um, agribusiness, all of that. I I've taught ag communications at Cal Poly, and I've written stories about Michael Pollan, who's a, a real hero of mine. Investigative journalism that's about. The quote truth about um, the food system, I think my biggest thing when I hear you say that is confusion. Mm-hmm. I feel confused, and I meet so many wonderful, lovely people on all sides of this spectrum who all feel really strongly about it um, so i don 't know it 's a tough that 's a tough thing to hear. I want people to trust the food system because of so many things that we 've been hold. Do you have any conflict about that for yourself?
2: You know, I think it's, I think it's interesting. You know, there is a lot, there's a lot of documentaries about everything and they're, they're fascinating. And it's so interesting to see there are so many sides to these issues. Um, and I think it's important that we stay curious and mindful and hold people accountable across whatever that issue is. Um, I, I feel like I also think that, that sometimes some of these documentaries can also be very fear-driven and I think one-sided. And I think that sometimes that creates more harm than good. I feel like there's got to be a balance, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think it's important that we hold our food system accountable. And if there is something that's not working, that we do things to address it. But I also think that this there's a lot of fear-mongering, not just in documentaries, but even just in marketing. And it just feeds into that confusion. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I think one of the the beautiful and challenging things living in this digital age is that we are able to be more connected and share stories quicker and easier than ever. Like mm-hmm. your podcast, for example, mm-hmm. is a perfect example of that. And I think it's a, a beautiful opportunity for people within agriculture to share, to share their stories too. Cause I think it's important. And I, I think that there's a shift in agriculture too. You know, in the past, when I think about my grandpa, My grandpa wasn't the type of person that would hop on social media and share and talk about Mm -hmm. what's going on at the ranch today. I mean, he loves talking. He'd probably love to be on a podcast, but, um, we have an industry that in the past was really good at what they did, but they just kind of kept themselves and they didn't talk about it. And I think there was this gap of communication and understanding. And all of a sudden people are like, wait, but what are you doing? We don't know what's happening. And then there were people that were telling the story of agriculture that maybe weren't from agriculture. And so maybe their perspective wasn't the whole story. And I think it's just kind of all fed off of each other and created a lot of, distrust and confusion, like yeah. you said. And so I think as someone who, who is was raised in agriculture, as someone who, um, is passionate about agriculture, who will, will always have a tie to agriculture in some way. I think that my hope for us in agriculture is that we just continue sharing those stories. Yeah. And when people have questions, like we, we, we shouldn't have anything to hide. And I mm-hmm. want to just create more storytelling and networking in that way. Um, But I get that there's confusion. Mm. I mean, there are so many conflicting ideas. Brent, did you want to add to that? I've got a thousand things to say. He's over here making notes.
1: I know. It's it's funny because I remember, you talk about Michael Pollan, I remember when Food Inc. came out and I can remember... I guess it was when President Obama was going through his transition to become president, mm-hmm. and there was discussion of Michael being USDA secretary.
0: Oh my gosh, and, I never heard that. That's a wild thing. we were shitting the bed. I mean, <laughs> it was a big
1: thing. Everybody's like, "Oh my god, Socialized of uh, agriculture at the end of agriculture." saying, no, it's not. You know, there. On the flip side, we think about farming is we cannot expect farming to look the same. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, as it does today. Because mm-hmm. things on my dad's farm are different than what his granddaddy did and what kids today are doing. It's regenerative. the new. It's Sometimes it's a little bit of buzzwords. And I was on a radio show, and I said, well, regenerative agriculture is the kind of stuff we've already been doing. We have cover crop systems. We have that. And this guy was very offended because he liked that. And we never want to turn people off from agriculture just because it's not what we're doing today. If someone wants to try something that's harebrained and off-the-wall sounding to me, good for him. Mm-hmm. Go out there and mm-hmm. knock it out. And we're constantly just trying to define ourselves by our differences. And even in Farm Bureau, we may agree on 99 issues, but that one issue yeah, yeah. we will just fight each other to death on. And any time we can get together and not be on our computers typing at each other,
2: yeah.
1: I think that makes a difference. And if I could have one wish, hmm. I wouldn't make everyone try to grow their own food for a year. And I think everyone's <laughs> paradigm on pesticides, antibiotics, mm-hmm. hormones, organic, conventional, Water usage, I think it might not change, but you'd be more fulfilled in your arguments. You'd have a more realistic sense. Kai and I, we kill every plant that's in our house. We're (laughs) we're ag people. We love our animals. We love cattle and livestock, cheap, and the diversity of agriculture, but that's just not our skill set. And so it's a lot easier to criticize the food system when you're not having to do it. When everybody had to grow their own tomatoes during covid I think that was laughable, and I had friends of mine. Larious, slow- yeah, yeah <laughs> just hilarious. Everybody was posting all their dead tomatoes and peppers, and <laughs> our cats at home eat all of our plants. They're just they shred everything dead. Yeah, but right.
2: uh, I always joke that um, Brent grew up on a crop farm, so he's in charge of the house plants, and I grew up on a, a livestock farm, so I'm in charge of our livestock, which is our cats. Right, and they <laughs> are been thri- they're thriving. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> let's take a quick detour here to talk about another consumed sponsor. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality groceries, local produce, and exceptional customer service. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and a variety of organic selections. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop, and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. So where have you been with it, all those plants? Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's it's hard, though, because so I work for the soybean board, and soybeans are predominantly GMO. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a yeah. S- yeah. staple. And my, my family has both. We have conventional markets that give you a little bit of a premium, but the yield may be lower. It may require more inputs, pesticides, etc., and I spoke at some kind of a GMO summit or something, and I thought I did okay. We talked about the mm-hmm. pros and cons and the impacts, what, what that means. And there was a guy that was very against it. He made some good points. And at the end of the day, he and I, we had a good time, I thought. But after this was over, somebody, no kidding, put a dead fish on my car, on the hood of my car, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Okay, like a, now
0: what is that mean? It's message? like a Godfather
1: thing. I it go swimming is. with the fish. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think they're talking about there was, that was right a when the dead fish. the GMO salmon had just been announced. That's not uh. in production. And that was what I in my mind thought that was because I had mentioned it, but
0: yeah.
1: they had the foresight to go out and buy this and it smelled good. I said the mm-hmm. fish is a fresh fish. Take it home and cook it. I thought, <laughs> I know, I know they may have put some stuff in this thing, so I better not, but my friends I've got mm-hmm. friends that, that constantly want to talk to me about stuff, controversial issues. And mm-hmm. I enjoy it because I know that we're gonna look at all this stuff differently as different pressures come on. You mentioned climate change and the farmers here You did. Okay.
0: You did, and I was really impressed actually that you brought it up and not it, me. And it's mm-hmm. not
1: something in Kentucky that's commonly accepted. It is not the agriculture industry. and they might they do the caveat. Of course, Kentucky is coal country and it's yeah. a it's a big thing for the economy and I get yeah. it. It's people's families and their livelihood. But out here, climate change is accepted pretty much exclusively amongst farm not exclusively, but all the farmers agree that climate do change they? is happening. Really? Yes. And it surprised me. And now they won't attribute it. They don't go the that. next step. It's not attributable to X, Y, Z. Okay, that's, fine, that's but, fine. but it's a starting point yeah. to have the conversation about, and even out in Crease of Plains, Kai's dad talks about how the weather's changed. And
2: wow. is
1: it a what cycle? Is it a hundred year cycle? It doesn't matter. We have a problem here today. And so we're thinking about ways to address it.
0: That is really um doesn't that feel like mature and and realistic i don't know i this is just my own personal thinking but it makes me happy to hear that
1: it is it has to and farmers are gonna kind of mention we're survivors or adapters, yeah resilient Resilient, yeah you know this the most important thing obviously is their family number two that that land that is your heritage that's Mm -hmm. what you pass on to your kids and if things are going bad on the farm you've got to look at what's going on you got to look at what you can change in terms of crop rotations, your cattle, your off farm income. Sadly, in California, uh, not, very few full-time farmers. Yeah. And it's increasingly – a we kind of have a new, I think, a renaissance of young people looking at agriculture for the environmental mm-hmm. impact and being connected to their food, which is awesome. But then I've got farmers that are 75 years old that just say, oh, he's not going to make a living off two acres. You know, he needs all this stuff. But, you know, that's how a lot of people get started. and That's mm-hmm. how that crop industry – Especially here in California, the price of land, for context, in in my home state of Kentucky, good farm ground might be six thousand, eight thousand dollars an acre. Mm-hmm. Good farm ground here in Slow County might be a hundred thousand dollars an acre. You're talking about prime my agriculture goodness. ground. You know, strawberry gra- grape areas might be thirty, forty thousand if they've got water, yeah. and that the trend is going to continue. So we're not making any more land. Yeah. And I look at my time here in California as what is coming back east you know stuff kind of comes in my opinion this is probably stupid but europe Mm -hmm. california Mm -hmm. and then works its way from Mm -hmm. the coast inland Mm -hmm. and so if you go if you had this conversation with farmers in in the midwest and indiana illinois iowa it's it's they're just getting the taste of it just now but they're Mm -hmm. still in their kind of traditional ways and uh, california agriculture despite being the largest ag industry in the nation is not a player nationally in in ag politics farm bureaus yeah it's odd it's really uh it's So on the labor piece, we talk about labor challenges. There's a bill that uh, would give a pathway to citizenship for undocumented workers, Mm -hmm. which I've come to understand here are absolutely essential. And everyone that's listening should know that uh, a migrant farm worker predominantly grew your food, physically handled and harvested. And if we don't recognize that this immigration system is broken, we're going to, we're going to be in a world of trouble. Mm -hmm. And the conversation though, nationally is illegals build the wall, all that stuff. And, it just amazes me that California is the big player in agriculture, but they're not politically driving the they're conversation. We can't get stuff passed like um, it's the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. Representative yeah. Carball has been yeah. an advocate or, for it. And uh, it's it's changed my perspective. And working on COVID stuff, we work with farm worker Outreach for Vaccine Administration. I and, saw that. Yeah, big deal. You it changed were my,
0: critical to that, though. Well, we helped.
1: We tried to help, and <clears throat> yeah, it was Probably the coolest thing I've ever done.
0: And it w- was it a one day, or, or was, has it been multiple days? It
1: started, the, my most involvement was the first two, so we call it Farm Worker Fridays, and it was a multi-people collaboration. Um, There's a group called the Promotores, the Herencia, and Digni, I'm going to butcher that, I'm sure. Anyway, mm-hmm. people that work with Spanish-speaking and Mixteco-speaking populations, our county public health department, which Dr. Bornstein and Jen Miller, awesome people that really mm-hmm. came together. And they kind of had an idea of how to reach farm workers. And when I, and I didn't know, I've, I've, I'm i two years here, I've not worked with that type of ag system before. And uh, I talked to the farm labor contractors. They said, nope, that's not going to work. We're going to have to facilitate them getting it. We're going to yeah, have to stand up go. there. We got to go. We're going to drive them and say, this is an option. We're all getting it as your employers. Mm-hmm. You're welcome to get this. We think you should. So we got 500 farm workers vaccinated in maybe two hours. It was crazy. Oh my god! Like assembly line. It was amazing. And yeah. people were crying and I'm not like in a happy way, like just so yes. relieved. Yeah. Cause this was like right now we're, you know, people know what time of year we're speaking, but in May right now we're having a hard time getting vaccines out. The people that yeah. want the vaccines have got it. But back in March, people were calling my farm bureau office and mad. Why don't we have the vaccine? And mm-hmm. it was a, this battle.
0: Freaking out. Freaking yeah. out. Uh-uh.
1: Yeah. And so it was a pretty big effort. We got 2,000, I think about 2,200 farm workers vaccinated in the month of end of March and April, and it's kind of the interest is waning. And, and farm workers are coming from other states that are often having vaccines there, so they're, mm-hmm. they've got the vaccine when they come. But the local uh, Latino community still has a lot of uh, concerns about the vaccine. Some of them just ridiculous misconceptions. That's true for all populations, it not, is. not it unique is. to Latino population, yeah. The but the added thing is they have a fear for being deported. And so even mm-hmm. when we were setting up the logistics for this vaccine effort, we had some Cal Fire uh, representatives that have, that have a badge. They kind of look like law enforcement. Mm-hmm. We didn't want them around. We didn't want to turn people get off. Get away. <laughs> yeah, get yeah. away. So they're great yeah. people Cal Fire. Yes, of course. But, no. uh,
0: Perception is everything. Perception is <laughs> everything. So that yeah.
1: distrust of law enforcement. and, uh, But it was a cool thing. And it, it was the stress most stressful thing we've ever done. I was freaking out that nobody would show up because we had to get these johnson johnson vaccines were like a hot commodity because they were one One dose and done the county had to like kind of really make effort there was kind of like a trading ring for vaccines like you could trade two modernas for one johnson (laughs) johnson and i mean slow county government i'm often critical of but the staff that were leading the vaccine effort were uh i mean they deserve a lot of credit i mean it
0: it was pretty awesome it's been great. I, I, we just have to recognize that my cat, Oatmeal, <laughs> has gotten a marble or something, and she is rolling it around the house on the hardwood floor. She is so funny and cute. Um, something that came to mind um, that is so great About agriculture, something I try to remember all the time is as humanity didn't become the humanity as we know it. It did not become civilized until ag. It's so critical to our humanity that we are no longer just hunters and gatherers. Mm -hmm. We plan and we program and we watch the skies and we watch the dirt and, um, That's something I think we can all get behind. Is we will not go further, any further, as a civilization, until we remember how we got here. And AG is—it's the whole reason. Um, It's a good thing to remember. Even as I look at this bottle of bourbon, you know, it's well because it's a work (laughs) of art. We all know that good, like good bourbon, is really special. It It is, but it's been. Planned, And there's a history there. There is, um, you know, a legacy to uphold. And um, that's no different than Jerry. He's down in AG growing Jerry's berries. You Jerry know? is
1: my man. You've not looked in your bag yet, but I've actually got a magazine. That's so crazy. You oh, what do you
0: have? So they got some
1: Farm Bureau swag for you. Yes. So, so I, I swear we didn't set this up, but look who's on the cover of our magazine,
0: <gasps> Jerry, the Jerry,
1: twenty twenty Agriculturalist oh, of the Year. Gosh, and, I and
0: love this man, I do
1: too. His wife Marie and they're great. We went visit them about two weeks ago. Mm. I was trying to show my Kentucky friends the diversity of slow county agriculture, and Jerry is. I said he he basically raises vegetables on sand. Going, yes. What do you he mean? Does. It's, does. <laughs> it's, like, it's really yeah. sand. We don't have that in Kentucky. You know, we're mm-hmm. clay, more loamy soil. But Jerry is a prime example of recognizing accessibility. People can walk out there and see his crops. Mm-hmm. And Jerry is not all certified organic, uh, which really surprised me when I came out here. A lot of people are organic, but they're not certified.
0: That's right, because it's expensive and time consuming. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was it one takes of my, them away from the work.
1: It it does. Yeah. And one of my previous jobs at the Kentucky Department of Agriculture, I was an organic inspector, so mm-hmm. I would go out and do the crop things, and people were like, "You were an organic inspector?" I was like, "Yeah, I know the organic stuff." and so it just really surprised me they were not that way. But his, you know, it's the trust. People, yeah. what, does a, what does a label mean? Yeah, it, it helps somewhat. And you'll see a diversity of labels on every product now. You know, it's mm-hmm. gluten-free. Um, some of the things are kind of funny. Kyle mentioned that earlier, like um, well, hormone-free chicken. Of course, it's illegal to get yeah. chicken hormones. Certain and, yeah.
2: things that they label because they're good buzzwords. It's like, okay, well, this is always gluten-free. It's always been gluten-free. Right. Non-GMO orange But now juice. it's trendy to write gluten-free on it. Right. So Anyway.
0: Like but. like um Twizzlers I'll never forget when Twizzlers said a fat free food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh well then I guess I'll eat that. Like, yeah, okay, I guess it's, it's okay then. Thank goodness it's a totally. fat free. Jerry,
1: he he I guess early on they were going to Santa Monica and yes. tons of markets. I mean crazy schedule. Yeah. And I mean farmer market there is a markup, a little bit higher price, but it's not that high. It's it no, really it's doesn't yeah. it, makes business sense. And so over time, they recognized that if they could get a spot where people could come to them, they could see the farm, Mm -hmm. have that community connection. And, I mean, people go there like they go to the grocery store. It's it's religious for I love it. Well, I mean,
0: we're regulars there. I love love seeing that line. But, you know, the thing that most people don't know about Jerry is it's like, you know, a prophet in his hometown. He was in Santa Monica. He was farmer to the stars. He was. And so... A lot of people don't recognize that his berries, his, you know, his chard, his beans, they were being picked up by the hot big chefs in L.A. served to celebrities. And yet here, a lot of people didn't know know a lot about him. Yeah, He
1: he joked when I did an interview for that uh, award thing, he said, I went down there to one of the restaurants and they were selling one of my carrots for $5 or something. <laughs> just, Jerry routines his carrot, $5. Or, no, but it's a good example of someone who he said, I was not a anti-pesticide. So I started growing conventional, but I recognized my customers didn't want that. And so if you're yeah. in the ag industry, you're listening to this, it didn't really matter what we think about mm-hmm. stuff. It didn't really matter how convenient it is for us. The customer sets all the standards. We can have yeah. education, outreach, we can explain our practices, but you know when Kai brings people out to the ranch, there's some people that just don't like meat consumption that 's just never mm-hmm. going to be a part of their value systems. but I think the more they can see a farmer and meet so you know kai 's family they're good people they're working hard they 're trying to produce a wholesome product that mm-hmm. that means all the difference It's just as you know we're farmers and we're busy we're out there yeah. going all the time and social media does help to an extent and organizations like farm bureau that's big what I do like here today i 'm talking about agriculture that 's right. a big part of my job but right. at the end of the day I'm worried about our Conflict, kind of like in our politics, it's either my way or the highway, mm. right and wrong, and mm. that's not productive. That's not going to improve our food system.
0: I feel I don't know why it is this week, but it feels so heavy. The polarized, the I don't know, the just um, it, it's unprecedented in my lifetime. Anyway, I've been here forty three years, and I I've never seen it like this yeah. before. And it's beginning to break my heart because I have two little ones who I want them to inherit a place that knows how to play well with each other in the mm-hmm. sandbox. And um, anyway, that's a whole other long conversation. But what I get from you, Brent, is, well, it's for a... both of you, is uh, a diplomacy there because you have lots of different people that you're interfacing with. And diplomacy, especially in ag, i found found, is, is like – money in the bank
1: absolutely and it's kai's family's ranch they do the agritourism and a lot of their clients are los angeles and san francisco people that have never seen it probably never seen a cow in real life right it's a totally shocking experience to come out there and on one hand i get excited when people are learning something new about agriculture but it also scares me it also scares me when this is a true story i heard someone else tell it. So i thought i wonder if i made this up in my head or physically but i went to a school and some girl asked me about uh, if chocolate milk, she goes, I know it's not all cows, but it's it's the brown cows, right, that do the chocolate milk. And I was like, well, that's kind of Are we talking
0: college student or yeah, elementary? The high school,
1: high school students. No. High school, That's what, I'm sorry, that was the point of the story. It was not a kid. It was a young adult, and wow. they were so sure, like, of what they were saying. And I thought they were putting, pulling one over on me, but uh, I could tell they weren't. So I was like, no, that that's added later. It's a flavor, because you don't want to offend people. And uh, what was there, some ad that says, why don't you all quit – Killing beef, you ought to just get it, get from, it from the from grocery the store. store. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh what my like. god! When stuff says it's farm raised, it's like yeah. well, everything farm raised. How yeah. big does the farm have to be for it's cool? You know, is it yeah. Jerry's style? You know, style is not everybody else's style, and I, I get it though. People want to have that connection, and the bigger and more efficient you get, the less family and wholesome you meet that stereotype of a farmer. Mm-hmm. And multiple farm families, though, Kai's ranch, multiple families. They're all incorporated. It's yeah. a corporation, but it's all family. But you know, if I have my best friend or somebody hired, does that make it less good? And I've been to mm-hmm. big farms that are great. I've been to small farms that are terrible, and vice versa. Yeah. In terms yeah. of organic standards and what I view as a good or practice.
0: the way they treat the people who there work there, yeah, the use of the resources. So I try
1: to be critical and think, Let me meet these people before I judge them based on their, yeah. you know, production size. Yeah. And I love the the big ag term. I was like, well. Is it, you know, 100 acres, 200 acres? What is the threshold? And Mm -hmm. I think it's really just that we want to have our our kind of idealistic view of farm. And that is a uh, older people, you know, small farm and hand tools, hand tools, tools no technology. And uh, that just doesn't Um, cut it today. I mean, the U.S. is a, you know, not perfect in everything, but we are a a pretty big leader in agriculture. Not all of our practices are adopted everywhere, but. I think it's a national security interest. And I always tell the story when I was in the, the Midwest with the grain industry, there's a neat story about, um, uh, the Chinese government sending spies over here to steal our hybrid corn seed. It's called the corn wars. And they've mm-hmm. caught people at the airport with uh seed sown in the line of their jet Cause they're trying to bring that back because in China it's a national security interest. Cause they're worried about the government's worried about losing control by virtue of not having food on the shelves yeah. and they have a socialized system of agriculture. So, um, yeah, which I asked one of my farmers here, With we can talk about regulations and labor costs and all these other things that are challenging to family farms. And I said, where does this all end? And it's a really big farmer down in the um, Napomo area, Oceano area. And he said, I'm afraid my kids will be the last generation that has free market agriculture. The government will eventually, it'll be California first, they'll have to take over agriculture because the cost of production will be so high that nobody else can do it for profit. Right. And I heard somebody say, why do I don't want to buy food from someone that makes a profit? And I thought, well, how do you? Live? Oh That's boy, a goofy thing.
0: Oh but I, I get that
1: because it's food. It is. It's part of our value system. a Human not, right,
2: but also it's
0: yeah. individuals that are business. Same with water. You
1: know, water has a price to it, but it's an essential thing and these are tough issues. They are so tough. Mm
0: -hmm. My husband gets very philosophical sometimes and he says, do you think that organic food is a right? Because he read Omnivore's Dilemma and Michael Pollan says he he just, he doesn't say that it is a right. I don't think he does, but he brings it up as as an argument. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: It'll happen in California. Uh, Mark my words. I I bet Hmm. the next 20 years there'll be Organic-only agriculture in California.
0: Okay, now here's the flip side of, of what we're talking about with messaging and storytelling. Mm-hmm. There was, I don't mean to cut you off, no, no, but I good. have Please. to tell you while I'm thinking of it, there was a young student of mine um, at Cal Poly who was involved in ag. I think he was a dairy family out from um, Tulare, but we talked about organics and organic food. And I challenged him to go eat at Thomas Hill Organics up in Paso Robles, where everything is organic. It's good stuff. He said, he came back and he said, you know, it tasted so good. It didn't taste organic. And I thought, what universe are we living in where you think you can taste, taste organic? Organic. I don't know. It's just the messaging, even within agriculture, mm-hmm. is sometimes not quite.
2: Well, I think it's solid. also, it, it kind of also speaks to that polarization. I mean, it's not polarization just politics it's not polarization farmers and consumers but there's so much polarization within our industry mm. and you know organic and it's not all across the board but some people that raise organic will shame conventional farms for sure, for sure. and vice versa people that yep. were raised yep. raising conventional foods will be like oh i don't believe in that organic bs mm-hmm. or whatever and i think that that's that's one of the things that breaks my heart in in the ag i guess it's 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 across the it's board everywhere. it's everywhere with yep. everything but I see it so much in agriculture. I think that's one of the, I think that's one of the biggest things getting in our way is that you know already people that produce food. It's less than two percent of our of our country is involved in food production. We're already such a small community. We already have so many barriers and challenges. And I think that a lot of the 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 biggest thing getting in our way is how much turmoil and arguments there are within it. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I guess is not is not unique to, unique to agriculture necessarily. No, but.
0: sadly, it really isn't. Um, yeah, there's a lot of infighting everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to know, I'm giving you extra time because you guys are so cool. <laughs> no, I really mean it, and you're so well versed. Oh, thank um, you. But there are some other things I want to know. Um, so. First of all, let me, let me just go personal. If it's okay, Kaya, you yeah. just had something pretty big happen to you. Yeah. Are you open to talking Absolutely. about that? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so you were on um, Kelly Clark's, Clarkson's show. Yes. And Why?
2: Um, So I was on the Kelly Clarkson show. They were, um, she had a second chances series and I was picked, my story was picked to be on the story because I recently in the last couple of years have been on my own personal health journey and not just physical health, but a lot of mental and emotional health too. I think Mm. that sometimes when we talk about health, I think it just gets pinned on physical a little bit too much, but it's a, it's a whole, whole person thing. But um, I lost over 125 pounds. Um, So great. Yeah. And so even before the Kelly Clarkson show, um, actually last year, last May, actually, um, I was featured in People Magazine and my story was shared on Good Morning America and Access Hollywood. And it was translated into a bunch of languages all over the world, which was just such a wild experience. Um, Really talking about my health transformation. And it's been so cool. Now I actually, I actually accidentally became a life coach because of my Mm. personal health because people are like,
0: tell me, tell Tell me me how you did it and all the
2: things. And, um, so I, I started coaching on the side, um, early last year. And then I switched to full-time in July of 2020, full-time coaching. Oh, you're doing
0: it full-time? Full-time
2: now. Yep. Life coaching and speaking. And it's been, you know, I grew up in agriculture and production agriculture. Um, My young professional career was in agriculture communications. Um, I've always loved people. I've always loved sharing stories. I've always loved agriculture. And I kind of feel like everything kind of fell into place for me this last year Mm. in kind of realizing that maybe my purpose in the ag community is to be a voice to empower the people within it to live their
0: happiest, healthiest lives, A different voice. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I think it's also been cool for me to, you know, having that ag production background to also speak to, you know, my experience of agriculture and food from, from a different perspective than I think sometimes you hear, you know, I I'm personally, my philosophy when it comes to food is, um, I think that all foods fit. I I don't think that we Mm. should shame anybody, whether they eat conventional or organic, whether they eat cookies or not, whether they eat gluten or not. And I think that, um, removing some of this shame and like diet mentality culture that a lot of us have been trained to believe in Mm. our lives, um, and learning how to have more of a healthy relationship with food and feel more empowered about the choices we have, um, has been really cool for me to learn that for myself and to share that with others, but also just to be really able to, um, for myself, discover that my personal my personal battle with my my weight and my health, yes, part of it has to do with diet and exercise, of course, mm-hmm. but the root of it, and I think the root of it for most people, isn't that we don't know how to eat healthy and move our bodies. We know yeah. it's that... It's our mindset that gets in the way. We
0: can't. We can't. We know how. We
2: just can't. Or or we use, for me myself, I used food as a coping mechanism. And until I realized that my biggest issue was my mental block, my mindset, my relationship that I had with my body, because I was approaching in the past losing weight from this place of self-hate and self-shame thinking, oh my gosh, you're hideous. No one could love you like this. Mm. I need to punish you Mm -hmm. by putting you on a diet and making you go to the gym that did not feel loving. And so of course it wasn't sustainable. And mm-hmm. so learning how to first at 285 pounds say, you know what, like how can I learn to accept and appreciate this body right now mm-hmm. without changing a single thing. Mm-hmm. And from that space say, okay, okay, I'm going to fuel my body. Well, I'm going to move my body. I'm going to speak to my body better, not because I hate it, mm. but because I love it. And I'm going to start treating it the way that it deserves. And, mm. and for me, it was a mindset shift first. And people see my before and after pictures. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, tell me how you did it. Like, what did you eat? How did of you move? Of course. I'll, first like, thing they want to know. Give me the, give what me... you eat for breakfast? Yeah, exactly. What time? I get questions <laughs> in my Instagram DMS all the time. Mm. And I, I, I know that the physical transformation is the biggest thing people see. Um, but I am always like, man, if only they could see my mind, because yeah. that's what it is. And I think that the more that we seek, like, oh, self love and acceptance and and health, just based on an image of what we look like, we will be stuck forever. Mm-hmm. Because you can you can lose a hundred pounds and still hate yourself. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And and I think that a perfect example of this too is, you know, I think there's a lot of women out there who have, most of the people that I work with are women who look at pictures of themselves, maybe in high school when they're younger. They're like, oh my gosh, look at me then. I was so thin mm-hmm. and I thought I was so fat. And I feel like that in itself is a perfect example that it was never about the weight. No. It's never about your body. It's all about your perception and the way you think about your body. It's mm-hmm. such a mindset thing. I think that's, you know for everything, whether it's business, it's all about mindset, whether it's your health, it's all about mindset. I think that everything in our life really is rooted in that, that mental space. And so Mm -hmm. it feels like such a, a cool gift. You know, I used to think of my battle with obesity and body image as like my greatest curse. And now I really am at this place where I feel like it was my greatest blessing. And this, this gift that was given to me that now I have this amazing opportunity that I never imagined was possible to be able to empower others in this beautiful way. It just, it's
0: the biggest honor of my life. That is so great. As you're talking, well, first of all, you just glowing girl. Thank you. Very cool. Um, (laughs) I, I was thinking about my comment earlier about ag being the thing that civilized us. Mm -hmm. I think I really believe in, you know, things are useful for a time, but then we have to let them go. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm not saying let go of ag, but I think we had a famine mentality where, okay, so we've planned, we figured out how to grow all of this. Now let's just eat as much as we can. Yeah. And, you know, like this that scarcity mindset storing up and scarcity mindset. And I think that that is so mental. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does not surprise me one bit that your mental health has been the engine behind your physical health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we, I, I, I really think that there is a movement of people who are becoming conscious, big C conscious, mm-hmm. like really truly. It's not just about what you eat. It's not just about self love, but like a real sea change of how we feel about ourselves and about scarcity.
2: Absolutely. And I think it's also, you know, and you hear it a lot right now, especially with the pandemic, but I think we're finally getting to a place too where it's not as taboo to talk about it. You know, I feel like in the past talking about mental health was like, Oh, she's must be a crazy person that's going into an institution. And, um, (laughs) finally, I think that we're getting to a place where our society is destigmatizing the discussion around mental health. Um, and we're, we're talking about it more. We're talking more about mindfulness and different ways to cope and, um, process things. And, uh, I'm so grateful for that, that that conversation is being had now. Um, I wish it, and maybe it was being had when I was younger and I just wasn't listening, but I don't, but think, I don't so. think it was. Mm-mm. I definitely think it is a new, a new movement, mm-hmm. um, which I think is, is a beautiful thing and something that, gosh, we need so badly. And it
0: will have its own, you know, its own little um, picadillos. There will be things about it that we look back on and we're like, oh, we were so crazy about yeah. that. But we're moving, we're trying. I mean, it's all in the effort, right? It's Absolutely. all in the effort. Okay, so Brent... I want to ask you
1: what a good catch, right? I mean, come on. Well, girl's on you fire. did. You won. You're I know, winning. I know
0: um, you let's be real. Farm Bureau contacted me. You saw yes. value in coming on Absolutely. and talking. I want to make sure that I honor. What are the things you want people to know, especially in San Luis Obispo County about the Farm Bureau, about True. ag? What, what do you want people to know?
1: our primary mission is make sure farmers and ranchers can continue to farm here in this County. So at the end of the day, I'm at the board of supervisors. I'm at the in Sacramento back when we could go in person. When you join farm Bureau, you're a member of the County Farm Bureau, the state farm Bureau, and American Farm Bureau, a diversity of opinions, a diversity of production methods. And so we're not this monolith of big agriculture. I've got farmers that grow a hobby farm. I've got farmers that are growing for thousands and thousands of families and everything in between. So I hope in this community we recognize what an awesome resource agriculture is. I want people to think of, I don't really care if they associate with farm or not, but appreciate farmers and ranchers and know that when you drive down the highway and you see all those crops and those fields, farmers want you to be engaged with them. They really would like you to talk to them. And I know it's weird to pull into a field and talk to farmers and farm workers and often there's that, that language barrier or some kind of issue that you're afraid to go talk, but Uh, We have got to bridge this gap between consumers and farmers. We've got to be recognizing that we've got increasingly diverse challenges on whether it's water and labor, uh, pesticide usage. You could go through markets, trade, all this stuff. And I'm afraid farmers are just kind of in their own little silo. They've been Mm -hmm. historically talking to themselves. So we want people to feel comfortable coming to farmers and having that conversation because we don't. It's hard for our members to even um, know where to start sometimes. Yeah. A lot of them don't even have a Facebook or social media. Right. So they just get turned off by what they see. And, and when stuff comes out in the media, they're just like, why do people feel this? Like, why are they why are they suspicious of us all the time? Mm. So my hope would be that uh, whether it's through Farm Bureau or whatever vehicle, we have a, a community alliance of family farmers. We work with an organization called You Ought to Bring This Guy on Your Podcast, mm. Jeff Wade with um, – Slow money, slow food. Oh, I know know Jeff. Jeff. Yes. Oh, and I would love to have him on. He's doing good work. We're meeting tomorrow. He's an awesome guy I work with a lot. But just recognize that we've got to come together. We can't have this small farmer, big farmer fight. Mm -hmm. It's it's the old paradigm. We can't have this environmental versus agriculture. Uh, So my hope is that people will look to Farm Bureau as a vehicle to come together to just support your local farmers and ranchers, whether you're doing that by you know, shopping at the farmer's market. But if you have questions about food, uh, we're happy to facilitate that. We're a, a 501c5 nonprofit, so we don't, you know, make money off people. We're, we're a membership organization. Uh, we're always looking for members. I slipped a membership form in your bag, Jamie. So just so you know, <gasps> like I could shameless, be one? you can be a member of Farm oh Bureau. And that money just basically goes to make sure that we're telling our farmers and ranchers story, that we're addressing challenges, whether it's Paso Robles Groundwater Basin, uh, whether it's stuff happening here in San Luis Obispo, market access, getting food. There's a great uh, resource here by the Slow Food System Coalition called the Paradox of Plenty.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, we
1: work a lot with the food bank to make sure that our farmers know how to connect those surplus yes. goods. Big, big thing. in And COVID really highlighted that. That was yeah. a scary time. And we have, as you mentioned, this huge production that often doesn't get... Um, yet we have people that are hungry. It's such a weird thing, especially here in Slow County. We've got—I can't remember what the increase of the food bank was, but I want to say it was quadrupled the number. It was crazy. massive, yes. And, yeah. Uh, Garrett Olson, the food bank, he could be a great resource on learning. But I'll make one plug for another organization, Glean Slow. Have you guys—you know, Glean Slow, Jamie?
0: I do, but I haven't had them on, and I just believe in what they do. So they're much. awesome.
1: You need to get Willie on here. She is the ringleader, mastermind, and they've been doing it for. I want to say like 15 years. It's been a long, yeah, and I, I got to go on a glean and kind of profile some of their volunteer leaders. Um, but Slow County is a cool community, and agriculture, in my opinion, is what really makes it extra special. And I think mm-hmm. the more that we can uh, put aside our differences, and I hope Farm Bureau can be that vehicle, and we have members that are you know not full-time farmers. Maybe they, they just like agriculture. You can join as an associate member. We have agriculture memberships. We have businesses that just want to – show that they support agriculture. And we're happy to connect those. And that gets you an opportunity to showcase uh, or to help support what farmers are doing and showcase that your company really supports agriculture. And there's not a, you know, we don't um, have a big festival every year and a real vocal or visual thing in the community. But uh, we're out there advocating for farmers every day.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) power couple <laughs> <laughs> kind
1: of one side nobody knows Burchett, so we we get married i was like i always name drop the twist ones there, is there, a- <laughs> there a, like kaya is just so incredible and we just uh, we both love agriculture and yeah. i wish we could do this full-time jamie this would know, be our super favorite fun, thing isn't it we could have a podcast we tried to do a podcast one time and it it didn't go well we you probably about-
2: had a little bit few too many bourbons bourbon. was <laughs>
0: bourbon <laughs> involved
1: yeah just one, one guest. No, Kai's awesome. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here and I would never leave my old Kentucky home for just anybody. So, Aww. if you're going to be stuck in California, this is not, this is like the best this place. This is to where. Be. Absolutely. Okay, totally do it. It. You're welcome. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> Big major thanks. Okay, so I ask everybody on here if it were your last day on earth Ooh. and you wanted to celebrate a life well lived, what would you eat? What would you drink and who would be there? Oh my, that is a good question. Brent, you're starting. Oh, that's easy. It would be um
1: at my granny and pa's house, and it would be all those good southern foods you hear about that you're not supposed to eat a lot of. The Go ahead. fried chicken, hominy, uh, purple whole peas, black-eyed peas, um, green beans, mashed potatoes. um Granny makes these awesome little pickles, like her own pickles. I don't know why I thought of the pickles, but those, those pickles are in good pickles in there. Granny's yeah. pickles. Hey, that's a it's important. The Granny makes these little pecan pies that I mean makes them from scratch. They look just like you get them at the grocery store, but these are actual Granny makes them. And if you just tell her you're like, I think I'm coming by, you know, don't cook mm-hmm. anything. I'll just make you a little something. There's like there's a like, feast, feast of oh. <laughs> yeah.
2: and she always uh, sends you home with leftovers too. Yeah, just that's having that community
1: stuff out of the garden, canning tomatoes that smell. You know, you're putting up tomatoes. I, every time I smell like tomato soup, it just mm, connects you to home and that garden smell. And uh probably have some sweet corn in there, too. I'm a sweet corn snob. And y'all's sweet corn is not as good here in California. I'm
0: not surprised that you say that. It's yeah. like
1: shipper corn. It's like kind of meant to be more shelf which I get. But yeah. Kentucky has delectable sweet corn. And uh, mm. it's going to be a couple months. We'll have some good sweet corn at home.
0: Yep. And what are you drinking? Like, I need to uh, Well, yeah.
1: got a good glass of Kentucky bourbon, or if we're at Granny's house, she's a teetotaler, mm-hmm. just some water. That'd be yeah. Good. Good, <laughs> some good
0: water. And I'm guessing that so you have your family and you've got Kaya there.
1: Yes. Yep. Yes. That'd be awesome.
0: Okay. Okay. That was good, Brent. I'm impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I feel like mine's
2: kind of boring because we eat it all the time, but it's just a classic. I guess it's like, I'm going to say the same, but my my home cooked meals. So my, I would probably have it be at the ranch at the pond where mm-hmm. we just got married. Um, I do love classic... Santa Maria style tri-tip, yes. um, some grilled garlic bread, mm-hmm. some of my mom's cowboy beans. They have a lot of ground beef in them. They're not vegetarian friendly. Your kids yeah. wouldn't like them, but they're delicious. Oh, no. They
0: they need the little nubs in there. There you go. So <laughs> yeah. um, we'd have those
2: beans. We'd have a delicious salad and some of my dad's homemade strawberry pie. So good. Oh, my gosh. Um, also, because it's my last day and I can have whatever I want to. Right. Um, my dad makes the best sweet rolls they are called honey horns. They're like crescent shaped and they have like nuts, pecans, and like a honey glaze. Oh my oh gosh. Lord. I, I dream about them. They are so good. So we definitely have some of those. And, um, I definitely would have a spicy jalapeno margarita oh, to wash it down with. Very, so very good. good. <laughs> I'd have all my clothes for, Family and friends. Brent, of course, my nieces. I mm. got so obsessed in the food, I forgot
0: the... Part the, of the people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we but see where your priorities are. are. Me, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Nobody's surprised. Yeah. Oh, that sounds wonderful. You guys are cool. Thank you so much Thank for you, reaching Jane. out and for letting me have both of you. appreciate it. Nope, we appreciate it. also. Awesome. We enjoyed it. That wraps up another episode of Consumed. If you like what you heard and you think more people should hear it too, please review the podcast wherever you like to listen. Because remember that thing I said about being in the top 40 food and wine podcasts in the U.S.? Yeah, truly, thank you for listening. To learn more about Consumed, to see photos of my guests, and get links to their many projects and businesses, please visit letsgetconsumed.com. As always, special thanks to Chris Lambert, who edits this podcast, even though he's already outrageously busy with lots of other stuff. And thank you to everyone who lets me into their life for an hour each episode. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis.